Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where we are on the rooftop deck, the the um, observation the observation deck, deck here at Aish Hatora in the Old City. My name is Miriam L. Wallach. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network, coming to you every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. Not sure who's hosting the live lunch this week. I don't think it's something we even thought about. But we will get to that. A good morning to Nachum Siegel, good who joins morning, me. Good morning, and it's a pleasure to be with you in Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us all to Jerusalem. Thank you to Mizrahi for bringing us to Jerusalem. How about, how about a few seconds on who might be able to host Thursday? Live lunch. Yoni's here. Right. I'm here. Yep. You're here. I'm here. Avrami's uh, back in the United Avrami States. Avrami is available. ZK's back in the United States. Yes. Jamie, you know what? I think Jamie, before she leaves the Nachum Single Network. That'll be Network, her last act. Correct. She should have to host a live lunch. All right. Well, well, should we set her up? Oh, well, we'll see if we can convince her, unless I just tell her she's doing it. She's listening right now to this and shaking her head and rolling her eyes. I would assume. We are 6,000 miles away, and I bet five bucks that that is exactly what's happening. We actually are pre-recording this show on Yom Yerushalayim. We have just concluded our Amit broadcast, which um, was a phenomenal, phenomenal jam in the AM, of course, from 6 to 9 AM Eastern Time. But it was 1 to 4 here in the afternoon in Israel. And for those of you who watched the Facebook Live in its, um, I can't say entirety, because the <laughs> video went in and out as a result of the fact that the equipment that we were using because of the sun radiating here on the rooftop deck, on the observation deck at Aisha Torah, had basically started to fry our equipment. Crazy. So as a result, the video went in and out, and we started taking a variety of precautions to um, save the equipment and save the save the show. But in the meantime, the audio is completely intact. And so for those of you who were um, who listened to the entire show, you you know that Nachum hosted a phenomenal Yom Yerushalayim special. Well, thank you very much. It was uh, quite a treat for me to be here on the 50th and to be surrounded by great people, our staff, and of course for the people from Amit and Aish. And uh, in general, this trip has turned out to be, you know, a lot of times life's all about expectations and yes. you think this is going to be amazing. It doesn't turn out to be amazing. This trip, which I think for the last year we thought would be amazing, has turned out to be just that. Uh, the Mizrahi World Movement gets credit for that. Right. As do all of our sponsoring organizations have been part of this week, and there are more coming up, of course. Uh, and um, it just been a lot of great moments. There's been so many great moments uh, during this uh, what I would call a week-long celebration. It seems like even longer because <laughs> people have been focused on it for so long at this point. We feel like we've been here forever. The days <laughs> have been packed. And, it, yes, it has been basically one long week of partying. Jerusalem in its absolute glory. Absolute glory this week being highlighted in so many different ways, having so many different organizations doing what they can do, doing what they want to do in order to be part of um, and part of the celebration, part of the simcha, so to speak, part of the, the nace, the miracle that is Yom Yerushalayim. And I don't think that using that word is an exaggeration. Oh, not at all. There are a number of miracles in our time, and it is, it is often these moments that we take for granted and as I mentioned yesterday in Jame in the AM there I am blessed my children are blessed your children are blessed that there hasn't been a day in their lives where we haven't had the state of Israel not a day in our lives where we haven't had Yerushalayim and so it is it is easy and I use that word almost like 
in quotation marks, but it is easy to forget how important moments like these are and take a step back and say, wow, what am I living in right now? And we commented after listening to the recordings from um, the Six Day War when when the the unbelievable uh, phrase, the, the, the sentence that has, the exclamation, I should say, that resonates on Yom Yerushalayim, Har Habayit Biadenu, mm. when you played those clips that were, for which Mayor Weingarten accompanied you, those were recordings from, from a previous year, it was. It it took us. It took us a moment to really appreciate the fact that we're surrounded on all sides by Israeli flags in an area that 50 years ago had none, not one. And I can't. I. I. I, I mean, I'm at a loss for words. Which is, of course, as I like to joke, bad for people in our business. But the flags around us are waving. It is finally windy up here. The sun is going down, and we are taking it all in. I like the flags that fly in the old Jewish quarter, what people now call the Muslim quarter, the assorted homes that, of course, now are under Jewish auspices. And people do fly those flags uh, with great pride and sometimes with risk, as we know. Right. Um, I also I, I give credit, and one may think this is really silly, but I don't know. I think governments, both of the state of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, uh, have a choice of how to approach these days of celebration. And it's obvious the way they've decked out and mm. the way their, their partners in the tourism industry and others have decked out this city. And we saw on the roads outside of Yerushalayim have really decked out the entire country. Yeah. The way they've done it, they've taken the celebration very seriously. The flags are remarkable. Yes. Sometimes it, we, we forget or don't realize how beautiful the Israeli flag is. <laughs> it it really is a is. gorgeous flag. It is. It's with crisp. great dignity. Oh. Simple, right? It's simple with great dignity. But it's simple, but it's bold. Oh, it's so amazing. Yes. And and something else, you know, as much as you're 100% right that both the area, the government of the, um, of the state of Israel and of the city of Jerusalem deserve credit for just how wonderful the week of celebration has been, but they can't plan or take credit for the kids who are partying and dancing and singing together. And we've been listening to it throughout the three hours of JM and the AM. And um, as actually, as we speak, the re- the Rikud de Galim, the um, the parade of flags is yeah. taking place right now, which is a major highlight. A sight to behold. Correct, for Yom Yerushalayim. I remember seeing it the first time, not knowing what it was, and seeing all these flags going, what in the world is going on here? But you can't take... That energy is not something that any government can create. That pride, that joy, the dancing of these children. I mean, and the B'nai Akiva groups that are gathering around, and the Hester Yeshivas that made sure to daven here together this morning at 7.30 in the morning. You can't manufacture that. You can't produce that in a marketing team. There, all the planning in the world can't take credit for the good Jewish spirit, the good Israeli pride that takes place every Yom Yerushalayim. It's so true, and um, I uh, I mentioned there were a couple of things I wanted to mention to you. One yes. of them, one of them was this incredible description that Natan Sharansky had of the effect that the Six Day War had on those who were Soviet refuseniks and those living in the Soviet Union in general, and how it played. We we we've known this from statements and accounts that have been told over the years. Uh, but it just made such an impact mm. 
on Russian Jewry. And I, of course, will, would say that uh, the state of Israel and the city of Jerusalem has had an impact on world Jewry. But it, it, it was in a place where religion was suppressed and where Jewish identity was not only discouraged but basically outlawed, uh, it's uh, amazing the type of, um, of spirit, identity, uh, and Jewish pride that was given to those Soviet Jews, including Natan Sharansky, at that time Anatoly Sharansky, uh, during the time of the Six-Day War. So he's sitting there next to me, totally by chance, and I was so mm. happy and thrilled. And then after his presentation, he's listening to the soldiers, the three paratroopers, describe what it was like uh, during when they were 22 years old during the 67 War, during the Six-Day War. And he, as they are describing every movement and every little thing that's going on, he is just lapping up the information. Oh. He was like a kid. Yes, and it's just, yeah. he, he's like he's reliving the experience, but this time through the eyes of those who experienced it, and right. this time, you know, slowly through the whole pr- progression of events. You know, it's not like he heard one news report and you know, at Harabai Piadeu, he's listening to these soldiers talk about the difficulty of that day right. and the miracle of that day and the emotions of that day, both heavily uh, joyous and heavily sad in so many different ways. And he's just, and, and, and I'm saying to myself, this man is sitting here and appreciating every single oh. word. Why can't I get into that same frame of mind and just appreciate every word that they're saying and understand how the miracle of the Six-Day War was played out through their hands, was played out through their actions. Uh, God gave those paratroopers and the, and the IDF the incredible kavod, the incredible honor to do what Jews have not been able to do for so long. You know, you've sat on enough panels and been part of enough groups um, in front of crowds to know just how difficult it is to stay engaged when you hear speech after speech and you know everyone is looking at you. <laughs> but but Mamish, like, he just was, he was hanging on every oh. word. He was... It, and the thrill he had being oh, with them and taking pictures right, of and them. You could, right, exactly. It you, is you who brought me back yes, to my people. It was, it was incredible. And all of a sudden, he... In his own mind, I mean, as far as I know about him, he is an unbelievably humble individual. Oh, yeah. But to him, he was not even in the top ten of the most important people in the room. Sure. You have three people who were in an iconic photograph that has become a symbol of what that day was. And he is looking at them in absolute awe. And when each one of them got up to speak at the concluding uh, ceremony, the concluding session for Mizrahi, they all got standing ovations, and they all weren't supposed to speak, but they were all moved yeah. to speak, which yeah. I thought was great. It's funny. I think when um, when the first two spoke, it, it, sort of, it seemed to me, maybe I'm making this up, but it just seemed to me that Natan Sharansky was hoping the third one would speak as if they he's uh, just trying to hear right. from the complete set. Right. You know, like He wants to hear the words of all three of them describe what was going on that day and also um it's so difficult sometimes uh when you come from an iconic family in the case of Rav Gorin mm. his son is the son of Rabbi Gorin right and he has the responsibility to you know to try to convey to the young and old who are gathered what his father was all about and you know had a Sinatra son you know <laughs> talk about his you know the, excuse the excuse the comparison right Lahavdil as yeah. many would but say but it's very yeah. difficult you know right? he, he, he's standing up there he's a prominent member of Israeli society and yet feels very lacking compared to what his father was able to accomplish and compared to the place in history that his father holds right uh, but and uh, nonetheless as I mentioned he had some inspiring words and then of course Rabbi Lau who uh, had a unique way of of uh, conveying to everybody there young and old how the Heart of the Jewish people is, in fact, Jerusalem. You know, Lev Yerushalayim, it's such a 
a straight, you know, Dabru Alev Yerushalayim, it's such a strange term. Since when does a city have a heart and what does it mean? And of course, the lifeblood of the Jewish people flows through the heart, which is the city of Jerusalem, as all of us know. So it was just a, that was an inspiring day and, uh, uh, Yom Yerushalayim uh, here at um, as close to Harabite as we can get overlooking the Kotel here at Eish Torah was an amazing an amazing day and just the festive atmosphere that has just gone non-stop non-stop since sunset last evening has been so incredible to watch you're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network we are actually on the rooftop deck the um, what observation the observation deck. deck here at Eish Torah in the old city and we have I mean location 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 we are mamash staring at Harabayat on today, Yom Yerushalayim. It is, uh, it is a glorious day. It has been a glorious day. It has been an unbelievable week. Nachum, you're mentioning the, the relationship and the, the burden, so to speak, of Rav Goran's son to, to tell his father's story. I'm struck by the, by the juxtaposition of you posting that picture of your father. <laughs> And David Ben Gurion earlier in the week. I wonder if you talk about that for a minute. Well, I mean, the only uh, my father was not. You know, my father was a very prominent rabbi, not into pictures. You know, you walk into certain rabbis' offices, there are pictures everywhere, <laughs> with every you know senator, right. government official, ambassador, anybody they've ever met. And kolakavod to them. Some rabbis have said to me, you know, I want my kids to see that you know that there's a certain sure. prominence or a father, and I get that. My father was not like that. He knew everyone in this state and pre-state. He knew everybody. There wasn't anybody he didn't know. And um, could tell you about, you know, leaders of today that he knew when they were little kids. I mean, obviously he can't anymore, but you know what I mean. And um, the only picture that he ever made an issue to have up, the only picture that he ever made an issue to have around, not, not, it wasn't really even really up. It was sort of like across from his desk in the back of a bookcase, but... It was always there, and there was no other photographs except for family, uh, was the picture of him and David Ben-Gurion. Tremendous admirer of Ben-Gurion, the fact that Ben-Gurion did not care what anybody thought. Remember, you have to remember something, and I know it's not Yom Atzimut, it's Yom Yerushalayim, but you have to remember something. Ben-Gurion's greatest adversaries in forming a state of Israel was the Jewish people. <laughs> you have to remember that. that the, it, it was, in fact, it was in fact the Jewish people, right. you know, led by the real labor partyists, who felt it was the worst possible. That's why the embassy thing drives me nuts. That they always say, you know, we shouldn't move it. It could cause problems. Isn't that? I mean, the state was founded on causing problems. The state <laughs> was founded on So Ben-Gurion said, I don't care. The the first opportunity that we're going to have is May 14, 1948, to declare the state of Israel. You know, after the War of Independence, we're going to do it. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And uh, he had pressure from everybody not to do it. I mean, certainly the majority. Remember, the majority of the Miraglim were the the bad ones. Hmm. Um, And he went ahead and, uh, and of course, declared the state, Erev Shabbat, 1948. Uh, May 14th, I believe it was, and um, and we had our and we had the independence of the state of Israel. So my father was a tremendous admirer of his, and um, I, I think he, uh, you know, he felt a special connection to him. He was not Orthodox. Hmm. Um, my father used to joke that the uh, the state of Israel could not have been founded by Orthodox Jews. Because they would have spent most of the time asking, "Can we do this? Can we do this? Have Shabbos? Can we go? Can we have an army? Can we not? You know?" And they never would have gotten anywhere. So it was put in the hands of people who understood the uh, impact of the uh, of the Jewish mission, so to speak, of Jewish destiny, but were not that un- sadly weren't as concerned about 
about halacha. But anyway. And your father's relationship with Golda. Well, Golda was, uh, they joked, they joked that he was the only Orthodox Jew that she liked. (laughs) (laughs) Now, about her, one can, uh, uh, she comes from a very serious religious background, so it doesn't shock me that religious people, you know, turned her off a little bit or that she, you know. Was trepidatious of them. Yeah, but um, but they used to joke when when so when when they were. I spoke to Rabbi Lau yesterday, and I said, you know, son of Rabbi Zev Segal, and he goes, oh, you know, the the vod uh, the vod. Um, oh, uh, I'm trying to think now what it was called. It just slipped my mind. The vod of of the United States Rabbinical Council that was responsible for Israel, which in those days played a tremendous role and my father being from Palestine and knowing both languages and knowing leaders on both sides of the ocean he really played a a role um and you asked about Golda right so if if someone needed a favor from Golda uh, for an orthodox cause they would ask my father to speak to her and the famous story is that uh, (laughs) they were on a plane no but the famous story is that at at Levi Eshkol's funeral Levi Eshkol the prime minister of Israel my father went up to Golda and said, you know, you're going to be the next prime uh-huh. minister of Israel. And she started, the way my father told the story, she started saying, oh, Rav Segal, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, that type of thing. And, of course, and within days, she was the prime minister of Israel. So, anyway, just little tidbits of information that I gathered over the years and to take great pride in because uh, uh, my father was, a, um, was at the right place at the right time. Mm. We needed someone like that. And, um, and he fulfilled a very important role. And was very close. They used to joke. You asked. They used to joke that uh, my father would speak to Golda during the day and the Briskorov at night, <laughs> because that's what exactly what happened. Right, that's that he, where he was. He had a tremendous respect and affiliation with the greatest of rabbis. Tremendous respect, and we'd always take their advice and speak to them. And at the same time, he had the respect of the Israeli government officials and uh, and those in the more you know secular side of society. Would he have wanted the embassy moved? I cannot imagine him ever being against a proactive, positive move on behalf of Jerusalem. I can't even imagine it. He was not a fan of the peace accords with, peace accords with Egypt um, for obvious reasons because we paid a price of mm. giving up land. I don't think he would change his mind 40 years later despite all the, uh, the good, and one has to acknowledge the good that's come from it. Right. Um, the embassy move, I, I think in a second – Maybe even purposely, just mm. to remind everybody, you know, who runs this town, so to speak. But who knows? Who I make knows? a point on That's Life every week to mention our national holidays. And um, when prepping for the show, Yoni said to me, do you have your fortune cookie? I said, no, I don't have a fortune cookie. And he said, do you have your holidays? And I said, I do not have my holidays. But it really doesn't matter because the only two holidays that do matter are Yom Yerushalayim and Yom Hebron. So by the fact that this show is airing Thursday at 1030, I... I don't want to skip over Yom Hebron. It is the um, it's the day after Yom Yerushalayim. It's not on calendars. Every calendar that's printed the same. The Hebron way. calendar. It's on. Yes. I think that's because of us, but whatever. Us meaning <laughs> JM and the AM. Okay. But I don't think anybody ever thought of Yom Hebron before I started making a big deal about it. But I got to be careful what I say. Okay. Well, you know, it's good that there's no live mic then, as you're saying that. But let's let's talk for a second. I mean, Yom Hebron is is. Why did you make such a big deal out of it? I guess that's the best question to ask. If JM and the AM put it on the map, so to speak, and I'm going to say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because obviously there are other people who, and all the residents of, of Hebron and the organizations that represent Hebron that make sure to you know keep it in the forefront of our minds. But 
But why why was it a cause that you took up? Well, I think uh, just like people know that um, we, we are obligated, uh, maybe an obligation that's self-imposed at this point, but we're obligated to do what we can to preserve the uh, Jewish sovereignty over the city of Jerusalem. I think that once the, the Hebron, occurred, uh, Hebron uh, Accords happened and the agreement was made uh, by Prime Minister Netanyahu, I don't remember the year, I'm thinking 1996 maybe, uh, to give up the majority of Hebron, you know, to give up control mm-hmm. of the majority of Hebron, I think that I felt that we better do something to remind people that this is a significant day and city in Jewish history. And... Um, and I think that's that. I think that's the primary reason that I really started to focus on. And I also I think that we had a big role in getting people to uh, entertain the idea of going for Parshas Chayesara to Hebron, right. which is very important, a very important statement. And something that I mentioned to you earlier today is that um, just like this area right here that we're looking at was overtaken by the Israeli defense forces with ease, quote unquote. <laughs> I don't want to say it wasn't. Right. A battle and that people weren't lost, obviously. Right, price was paid. Correct. Uh, in Chevron, when Rav Garin got there, <laughs> there was nobody there. They had all fled. And uh, there was a white flag, I believe. And the key, They meaning the enemy. Yeah, and the, yes. key, the keys to, to Marat HaMachbelah were basically left for him, you know, that type of thing. I don't remember the exact story, but we've discussed it many times on the air. And... Um, and that's what the, uh, and that is, you know, it reminds, to me, it's a reminder of the gift that God gave us, that, you know, with that type of relative ease and with such, you know, and, and in such a quick fashion, six days, obviously, Hebron being one of them, uh, that all, this was, all that was able to be accomplished. Um, and there was one point I just wanted to make before, are we wrapping up already? Well, we have a few minutes. Because there was one point I wanted to make when you mentioned Hebron, um, and I don't oh yeah I remember as a, again I'm sure today people are going to take this some people will take this the wrong way Kevin Rachel used to be on the street you know do you know where Kevin Rachel was what do you mean on the street Kevin Rachel there was a street that when you would drive up okay and you walk out of the car and there's Kevin Rachel okay there is a little you mean as opposed to the structure that yeah as opposed okay. to the bunker that's been created <laughs> Which is ridiculous because, you know, the, the enemy decided to throw rocks and shoot. And this was the defense that we came up with was to bunker ourselves into to Kever Rachel. You literally would drive up like the car that we rented. You drive up with your car and you walk a few feet and you're in this little, the traditional, you know what the Kever Rachel traditional building looks like, right? Yes. With the, with the little dome, dome on top. And that was Kever Rachel. And you went in and, uh, you know, and you parked in front. I remember... After 1967, uh, a short time after, we were in Israel. I was a kid, and we were in Israel for the summer. And my father, who was almost my height and a very imposing figure, drove with a, drove us to Kevarachal. We parked right in front, and he gets out of the car and stands up, you know, after having gotten out of the car, and you can see the fear among the residents of that area because there was a certain awe that the Israelis and the Jewish people projected and when they saw someone like this in their midst they were very cautious and I think that that's and I'm not not saying that it's important to intimidate other people and I'm not saying it's not important to get along with other people what I am saying is that we have lost our uh, our um, ability to remind the enemy that uh, we are a powerful force that's ready to do whatever's necessary if you act up or do something improper. We can live in peace and we can live alongside each other. But, you know, realize that you're going to have to for- face a, you know, right. 
a big man or a big mm-hmm. army if something goes wrong. And I think that was the big disaster of this whole process, uh, you know, the Oslo process, was that we essentially showed the uh, the enemy that we're willing to give in and cave into anything. Yeah, Oslo has become a musical on Broadway. I'm not even kidding. I have to go see it. I have, maybe I should go see it with our staff uh, for work purposes. But i got to go see it because i got to see what they did with this thing. It's I, right. The, the concept to me is I, – I don't even know how conceptually that gets out of – out of R and D, but uh, but <laughs> but but whatever, it, it obviously you know, did. If you know who finances most of the shows on Broadway, you could figure out why there's an, well, o- an Oslo show. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, we would figure that out another time. Um, unfortunately, we have to. I'm sorry, I dominated here. Are I, you? First of all, it is an absolute pleasure always to join you uh, to to be with you on the air and to join you in our various in the various cities that we find ourselves and back here on the roof of Asha Torah where. Um, you know, Rabbi Berg actually pointed out to me that the construction of this building is quite complicated because all of the air conditioning vents and all the ductwork and everything could not be laid on the roof because they wanted the rooftop to stay intact. Wow. Right. So everything is in the basement. So if you consider the fact that heat rises and this gets a lot of sun and they have to keep the the building unbelievably cold, especially with the number of people that they have going through the building on a daily basis, the construction of this building is quite complicated. But I think that, that there's something beautiful in that. Um, And that if you look around where we're sitting right now, in a in a city that was built by hand by stone, there's a complication. Um, there's a beauty in that complication. There's a beauty in that work and in that commitment. And I just want to also, I mean, we, I know we have a few minutes left, and um, I thank Yoni for his unbelievably hard work this week, and for engineering this show, and for engineering the JM and the AMs, and really for doing a phenomenal job, and for being such a team player. Um, that I, I sort of I, I sort of want to make a confession before before the show ends. I commented on JM and the AM that that and I at the beginning of this show that there hasn't been a day in my life, thank God, that I we haven't had Israel and we haven't had the Kotel and Harabite and we haven't had Jerusalem. And yet I found myself in a place where even though I had come so far and we were going to be here for this wonderful, wonderful celebration that I too was taking it for granted. And it hit me this morning of Yom Yerushalayim that I was not making the effort to get to the Kotel um, and to daven at the Kotel that I should, of course, be taking on the day of Yom Yerushalayim. And so I got up and I went and I found myself being getting incredibly emotional as I was um, approaching the, the plaza. And especially when I got close to the wall and I was able to daven at the Kotel and I just absolutely burst out in tears. Um, completely overwhelmed by the moment and all of these yeshiva boys who were on the wooden bridge uh, I guess is the way to put it the walkway uh, the parapet I can't, I can't remember the name someone give me the name the, what do we call it uh, I don't Mugrabi M- 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 Gate right the okay Mugrabi the Mugrabi Gate, Gate where, where that goes to Harabayat um, and they were just standing on there and they were serenading everyone who was davening and the 730 minion hadn't started yet and yet we had these angels almost above us singing with all of their heart accompanying our tefillot and I couldn't stop crying and I find myself as you can hear it in my voice I find myself getting emotional again it is it is our responsibility frankly as Jews and as Zionists never to take any of this for granted never to take for granted the lives that were lost bringing this to us and to remember that every single day 
is a nace. You've been listening to That's Live here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm going to close today with Imeshkachech by Lev Tahor. Full afternoon of programming continues after this. Who hosts the live lunch today? Frankly, we don't know yet. You'll find out soon. Stay tuned because the live lunch will be hosted. And then tomorrow morning, JM in the AM, is the... Uh, is the dedication of the One Israel Fund Medical Center in the Binyamin region here in Israel. And that will conclude our unbelievable week of programming here at That's Life. Nachum, my th- here at the Nachum Segal Network, my thanks to you, Nachum. My thanks again Thank to Yoni. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Show.